Welcome to the Islands Christian Church Podcast. We're so glad you're listening with us today. You can worship with us in person in Savannah, Georgia, or with our live stream every Sunday at 10 a.m. Take a minute to subscribe to this podcast to hear a new message every Monday. Thanks for listening. You know, today we're starting this new series called Who Are You? And most of us, if we're honest, we don't think about that question, who are you? Like, that's not a question we ask. As a matter of fact, we don't think about that question until we're forced to sit down with a counselor, right? That's kind of when that happens, right? We, we just kind of run wide open until somebody says, okay, we got to sit down with a counselor and ask this question, who are you? We don't typically think about that. We typically think about, hey, what do we do, uh, who we know, and what do we have going on? And so the idea of our identity is not something we put lots of thought into. So when I say, hey, what's your identity? Uh, much of the reason we don't think about that is, let's be honest, we're all really busy trying to get things done so we can go and lay down and relax. Anybody else? Right? We don't have time to think about who I am. That's just not a question, that's just not a question we ask. Now, I just want to define this idea of identity for a second. Our identity is simply what we think about when we think about ourselves. So let's just do a little exercise for a moment. For a moment, right now, think about yourself. Now, what do you think about when you think about yourself? And, and really, probably right now, you're already feeling a little bit uncomfortable because we're not good at this. Uh, most of us either have an overinflated view of ourselves, like I'm really awesome and amazing. Is this what you thought? Just in a moment, I said, hey, think about yourself, and you went, I really like me. I'm really, I'm really amazing, right? We have an overinflated view of ourselves, or we have a, a really uh, you know, a, a poor view of ourselves, right? We think everyone hates us, and we hate us, and we look in the mirror, and we're miserable, right? We're, we're just not good at this. Right? We're just not good at this. And so we avoid it. And like every good American, we just are more interested in getting something done. Right? Because what we know is what matters is, is not who you are. That's not a question I'm worried about. What really matters is what am I doing? What am I doing? But I'm telling you, that's not true. You see, it's important for us to wrestle with the question of who you are what your identity is, because when you know who you are, what your identity is, it gives all that doing that we're all running around doing, it gives all that doing meaning. It gives it meaning. In other words, if we don't know who we are, if we don't know our identity, if we don't know who God has called us, what, what He calls us, then all this doing we're doing, we're just doing. We're just doing actions. And as we talked about last week, we're just going to end up in a box with pretty flowers on it, and it's over with. All right? But another reason we need to wrestle with the question of who am I and what's my identity and how does God see me? Another reason we need to wrestle with that is so that we don't waste our lives doing things that don't matter. You with me? So a lot of us can be very busy and accomplishing nothing. And so one of the reasons that, that we wrestle with this question of who am I and, 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 and my identity is it helps me let my actions have meaning and it helps me to make sure that I'm doing the best things with my, my life. I'm doing the right things with my life. So we're starting this series on Ephesians, and i got to be honest with you. I, I don't typically do books of the Bible series because 
There's no way for me to do them short. I can't do a book of the Bible in four weeks. Maybe like, you know, maybe Jude, right? I can maybe just do that in four weeks. But normally, when you're going to do a book like Ephesians, it's going to take a long time. And so th- we're going to be in this for the next like three or four months. We're going to be doing this t- through summer. When kids go back to school, we'll be wrapping up Ephesians. I, not to me, that's exciting. But I know that what happens is like in the church, it's just kind of like, are we still doing Ephesians? Yes, we're still going to be doing Ephesians. All right? So we're going to do this over a long period of time. And we're not going to be able to go by it line by line or word by word because Honestly, that would take a year to do. We're going to be doing it in chunks at a time, and in large chunks at a time, and wrestling through it. And we're looking at the book of Ephesians because it wrestles with this question. Paul is writing a letter to the church at Ephesus, and a lot of what the letter is doing is telling them who they are, who they are individually and who they are corporately. It's helping them see what Christ has done for them and what their identity is in Christ, and then how that identity or who they are changes how they live. You see, the, the, the Christians in Ephesus were living in a primarily anti-Christian polytheistic culture. What that means basically is that everybody liked all the gods except for the God of Jesus, right? That's, that's basically the type of culture they lived in. Like, all the gods were great except we don't like the God Jesus. That doesn't sound similar to our world at all, does it, right? And so they're living in this anti-Christian polytheistic culture, and Paul is writing this letter to these Christians at Ephesus, and he knows this about them, and he knows this about you, that if we understand who we are in Christ, then we can come up against that, and we can live Christ-like lives, no matter what comes at us, no matter what happens to us. And so as an example of this idea that in, Ephesus, in Ephesians, this, this understanding of, of, of uh, identity and understanding who you are is so important in the whole letter. I want to read you just one passage. This is not what we're looking at today. This is just one verse. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, if you're a Christian here today, you're a follower of Jesus, you have a calling on your life. You have a calling on your life. In other words, God has set you aside for a purpose and a reason. You have a calling on your life. But just because you have a calling on your life doesn't mean we live up to that calling, do we? Anybody want to say that's right? <laughs> I mean, I'll say that's right for me. Like, just, and this is the reason Paul has to say these words, right? He, he has to say these words. Hey, I urge you. I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling. The reason he has to say that is because it's possible to have the calling and not live a life that's worthy of the calling. That, that's possible. And some of us can go, yes, I've, I've been there and I'm there right now. That's something we can do. To live a life that's worthy of the calling, we have to be urged to live it. We have to be spurred on to live it. We have to be prodded to live it. We have to be helped to live it. We naturally creep away from the calling. And what Paul's going to do in this whole letter is help them understand that if you're going to live a life worthy of the calling, if you're a Christian, worthy of the calling you've received, it's going to be not by me screaming at you and saying, you better do better. You better get it right. You better get your act together. That's not what Paul does in this letter. He says, if you're going to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received, it's by understanding who you are in Christ and stepping into that fully. And that's how you live a life worthy of the calling you've received. First section we're going to look at today is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. And I'm about to read a long passage of Scripture, and I know your, your brain's going to just wander a little bit, and that's okay. What might help you is if you have a Bible, if you have a smartphone or a tablet, uh, I want to tell you this is a long, complicated passage of Scripture, and we've got to wrestle. We're just going to look at some highlights today. 
Interesting thing about this passage of Scripture is it's all one sentence in Greek. So what I'm going to read you is going to be one sentence in when Paul wrote it. So he was kind of so when Paul wrote his letters, he didn't actually sit down with like parchment and quit. He didn't like write up. He he uh, basically spoke them, and a secretary wrote them out for him. Right? They were just writing as fast as he could talk, and they were just writing as fast as they could go. And so Paul, in this moment, what you're, when you hear this, it's almost like Paul's just like got this all these words pouring out of him, like we just poured a bucket of water out, just flowing out of him. And you can imagine the guy's like, ah, ah, he's just writing as fast as he could go, trying to get it all down. Okay, he's just trying to write it all down. It's all one sentence in the original Greek, right? So this is what it says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In Him, in Christ, in Him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we who were the first to put, on, put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with, in Him with a seal." the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Now, Paul starts the very beginning of this, right? He starts this beginning of this letter with praise to God. Like, that's what he's doing. He's praising God, like in the very beginning. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He just, he's just overflowing out of him. It's just pouring out of him. And then what he does is right after he says praise be to God, he lists this symphony of reasons. Can't you just, all those crazy language we just read, the symphony of reasons of why he is praising God. And the symphony of reasons is narrowed down to one word, right? The one word is the blessings that God has given his people through Jesus. The blessings that God has given his people through Jesus. And so Paul says, I'm praising God the Father because he has blessed us through Jesus. But I want you to notice something about these blessings in verse 3. Verse 3 says that God who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Do you see that? Every spiritual blessing. Everybody say the two words, spiritual blessing. Ready? Spiritual blessing. One more time. Spiritual blessing. He says every spiritual blessing. Now the blessings that God has given us in Christ are of a spiritual nature and not of a material nature. Now this is important. So hold on for a second. Paul's making a point to say, he doesn't just say blessing. He says spiritual blessings. He makes a point to say that. And so if you're a Christian here today, follower of Jesus, you have been spiritually blessed. 
Paul's focus here for the praise that he's laying out is not about the material blessings that we've received. And and here's the thing. We tend to praise God for our material blessings more than anything else. And that's okay. We should praise God for our material blessings. When somebody gets a new car, what do they do? Man, praise God, I got a new car, right? Or they get a new house. We just want to thank God, got a new house. Just so thankful for our material blessings. Even our health, if you overcome an illness, we thank God for our health, which, which was returned to us, right? And we should thank God for our material blessings. But you need to hear me when I tell you this. Your material blessings and my material blessings are temporary. They end. It doesn't matter how good it is and how much you praise God for it. It's over with at some point in the future. Our material blessings uh, are not eternal. They don't go on forever. The spiritual blessings that God gives us are eternal. And to be frank with you, the material blessings that we receive from God, they're useful, but they're nowhere near as useful as the spiritual blessings that God gives us in Christ. The material blessings God gives you, they're meaningful, but they're nowhere, as meaning, nowhere near as meaningful as the spiritual blessings that God gives you. And the material blessings that God gives you, they're costly, but they're nowhere near as costly as the spiritual blessing that God has given you. Now notice also in verse 3 that these spiritual blessings that we've received, we've received them in the heavenly realms. That's where we've received them. All right? He, he blessed us in the heavenly realms. And so, so you got to get this. We've received uh, spiritual blessings that are, that are blessings that are spiritual in nature, and they're from another dimension. And in reality, they're intended to be fully enjoyed in that other dimension. Are you following what I'm saying? Right, you've received a spiritual blessing that, that you benefit from today in the physical realm. But what Paul is saying is that a day is coming in the future in the spiritual realm, in the heavenly realm, where those blessings will be fully enjoyed and fully understood and fully grasped by you. That in other words, we don't fully understand the spiritual blessings that we're praising God for, but a day is coming in the heavenly realms where we, we really will. Now, I have an analogy to help us with this, and to be frank with you, it's terrible. <laughs> it's a terrible analogy, but I mean, come on, like, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to draw an analogy for something that's pretty complicated. Can we all agree with that? So imagine with me if you were a freshman in high school, ninth grade, and you're really, really smart, or you're very good at a sport. Your, your pick, you decide whether you want to be the jock or if you want to be the academic. You, it's, a, it's a free-for-all illustration for you to choose. You kind of customize it for yourself. In a university, you pick the university, your favorite university you wish you could have gone to and didn't get into or whatever. The university comes to you at 14 years old, ninth grade, and says, hey, we've noticed you. You're amazing. We're going to give you a full-ride scholarship to our university. When you finish high school in four years, it'll be waiting on you. It'll be right there. You'll be ready to go. Now, the fact of the matter is, you have a blessing that is a reality, you have a full-ride scholarship at this university you've always hoped you would go to. You've got it at 14 years old. Now, does that affect your life during those four years of high school? Sure it does, right? You, you have a lot less stress. You don't have to worry about how you're going to pay for college. You don't worry about where you're going to go to college. You just keep doing your thing, and you know you have a full-ride scholarship at a big university. But do you really understand what you've been given? 
Do you have any comprehension at all until you arrive on campus and really maybe even after you finish with your college education? That's when you really come to the place that you understand this incredible gift you've been given in a scholarship in ninth grade. You see, in ninth grade, the university scholarship full ride, it's a bit of a mystery, but that mystery still impacts your life and still affects your life. And that's how it is with these spiritual blessings of God. God comes along through Jesus Christ and he gives us spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms, blessings that are intended to be fully understood, fully grasped, fully enjoyed in another dimension, in a heavenly realm. And yes, they affect our life and they impact our life today, but there's a day coming when we will say, whoa, I had no idea what I was getting when Christ procured this for me. I had no idea. And see, Paul says that God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. And we are impacted by those blessings. But a day is coming when we will fully understand what we've been given. Now, the rest of the text, we're going to break down today uh, just a few of the blessings and highlight a few of the blessings that Paul talks about. Um, and, you, you know, just let me say this over you as far as the spiritual blessings. Hear this right here. Uh, God chose you. He adopted you. He redeemed you, he forgave you, and he marked you as his possession. These are all spiritual realities that are true of you right now that you don't even fully understand. We don't even fully get it. They are not material, but spiritual. So first of all, you are adopted, if you're a Christian, you are adopted in the family and have been given a family resemblance of holiness and blamelessness. Have you guys ever seen anyone's like 12, 13-year-old kid of a person you grew up with? Like you grew up with them, like you grew up with a dad and you were 12 or 13 years old and like y'all were friends and then like you grow up, you become adults and then they have a kid and then you see that kid at 12 or 13 and you go, dude, that's creepy. Your kid looks just like you, right? Anybody know? I've got a couple friends that I went to like elementary school with, and I see their kid. I'm like, dude, I used to play with you on the playground. Like, how's this possible? This is so weird, right? There's a family resemblance that just comes out of people sometimes, right? And so verses four and six, uh, Paul says that uh, God chose you to receive his family resemblance. And that he says it like this. He says he chose you to be holy and blameless in his sight. Well, God, the Father, is holy and blameless. That's the family look, right? That's the resemblance. You were chose to be holy and blameless. You were chose to be part of the family. And the look of our family is holiness and blamelessness. Now, <laughs> you're like, okay, I can check out now because I'm not clearly not in the family. Because <laughs> I don't know about you, I don't feel holy and, and I don't feel blameless. I mean, as of like last night, I don't feel holy, and I don't feel blameless. And the fact is, I'm not. The, 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 the thing about the gospel that we... That we because the, 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 the religion of Christianity is primarily uh, an identity religion about who you are in Christ and not a do religion, like you better do good, right? Because we like do good religions. We like, hey, perform well, do good, and then you get to go to heaven. We like that as Americans. We like that as Western people because we want to earn it, by golly. We don't take nothing for nothing, right? That's kind of, but that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is exactly receive something for nothing. 
right? That's exactly what it is. It's exactly receive something for nothing. And so for us, it's hard for us to wrap our head around that, that holiness and blameless, that though I'm not holy and blameless, if you followed me around for an hour, you would be like, why do they let you be the preacher? This is crazy. Um, this is nuts. Like I, we got to look, we got to find another person. Like this is crazy, but I'm not holy and blameless, but, and neither are you, but in Christ, Right Through the blood of Jesus, through my surrender to, to Christ, my identity is one of holy and blameless. In other words, I've been chosen to be part of the family, and so in order to resemble the family, God made me look like the family. He did the work. He gave me His righteousness. He gave me the righteousness of Christ through my faith. I couldn't earn it. I couldn't go out and get it. I couldn't muster up enough you know, church attendance to get righteousness. God gave it to me as a gift. He gave me Jesus' righteousness, and it was counted as my own. See, your identity is chosen, blameless and holy. Blameless and holy in God's view. That's who you are. It doesn't matter what you feel and think about yourself. That's who you are. That's your resemblance. Hebrews 10.14 is my life verse. It's my life verse. Read it at my funeral service. Right? It's, my, it's what I hang my hat on. Hebrews 10.14 says, For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever, 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 those who are being made holy. This is your spiritual blessing to possess now. To not fully understand now, right? Because <laughs> you're like, I don't get it, man. Like, I don't see how I'm holy and blameless because of the one sacrifice. I, I get it that you're reading it to me. I get it that you're preaching it, but I don't get it like in here. But it's true of you. You are holy and blameless. You've been chosen to be part of the family. And God has made you resemble the family. And we may feel very far from being aware of our holiness and blamelessness. We, we, we're not aware of it at all. But we are, that is true of us. And one day, like in a twinkling of your eye, in a split moment, your heart will stop beating, your brain will cease its activity, and you will see with clarity your own glory, holiness, and blamelessness that Jesus acquired for you. You will see that. And in that moment, you will come to understand. And you will be perfect in heaven. But between now and then, there's a reality that's true of you and that God is still working on you and working in you to make you holy. Well, why is He doing that? Why, is he, why doesn't He just say, well, I mean, I, know, I see you as holy and I know one day you're going to be there. Why is he like working in us and leaving us here to, to, to form us? Well, because you are his child. And, and we love our children. And we don't just uh, say, well, I know my kids are going to be okay. They'll be fine. I've given them a good education. I got to buy them clothes. I give them everything they're going to need. They're going to be fine. No, what do we do with our children? Even though we think they're going to be fine, everything's going to be okay with them in the future, we invest our time in them. We pour our lives into them. Why? Because we love them. We want to be around them. You see, God actually likes you. And He has adopted you. You are His child. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says that He's predestined us for adoption. 
He's predestined us for adoption to sonship. Now, it's, I, I know that in modern world, we struggle with this idea that, leave, leave that verse up there for a second. This is important. So he's, adopt, he's predestined us for adoption to sonship. That just simply means that God decided, God decided that if you're a Christian today, God decided that he was going to adopt you before you were born. If you're a Christian today, you were chosen by God the Father. And adoption is a legal term. Now, this is, Paul's a lawyer. This is a legal term. In Roman culture, adoption could be the difference between freedom and slavery, life and death. When a Roman citizen was adopted, uh, when a Roman citizen adopted a non-Roman citizen, in other words, I'm a Roman citizen and I adopt this boy who's not a Roman citizen, immediately, immediately that boy is given all the same rights and privileges of a Roman citizen. He immediately, he could be a slave in my household. And I say, hey, I'm going to make you my son. I file the legal documents. It's over with. The legal standing is now this child who was a slave in my house is now a son with all the rights and privileges of Rome. Now, why does it say sonship? Because this is actually a little important detail in the Bible. Every single word that's written in the Bible, by the way, is important. We just, it's not always right for us to grasp it. So I'm going to share this with you in case it's right for you now. Roman uh, landowners, if they had wealth, and they did not have an heir, if they didn't have an heir, that wealth would be gone when they died. Right? The state, different people would have access to it. You had to have an heir. And the heir had to be a male child or a male. So you had to have a son who could give your wealth to. So you might have a, a wife, you might have daughters, all that. You had to have a son. And so if I had, you know, five daughters and a wife, but I had no heir, no male heir to leave my wealth to, I might go and find a 17 or 18 or 20 or 23-year-old man and say to him, I would have liked to adopt you into my family into sonship so that you will become the male heir I need so that my wealth will be passed down. So my daughters and my wife can all be taken care of. You see what I'm saying? Because the women, they couldn't receive the wealth in Roman culture. And so whenever Paul, he's using legal language here. He says that, that we were predestined by God to be adopted into sonship. It's about inheritance. It's about inheritance. It's about us receiving what God has intending to give to us as a family member. So you and I, have been adopted as Christians. We've been adopted by God. He chose to do it. And he has a promised inheritance for each of us. And part of that promised inheritance is the blamelessness and the holiness that is true of us today that we will see one day with clarity. So if you're a Christian here today, you cannot brag about being a Christian. You cannot walk around and be like, well, you know, I've been a Christian since I was eight years old. I've been going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and every time doors is open, we went. I know I hear people say this kind of junk to me. And they think I'm impressed, but I'm not. I'm not impressed. I'm like, you sound self-righteous. Is that too much? Because none of us can brag and boast about being a Christian. None of us can walk around and think that somehow we chose, that we somehow decided 
No, every one of us who has become a Christian has done so because God chose you and God called you. Jesus said this in John 6, Listen to me carefully. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. So if any of us are in Christ today, if you're a follower of Jesus today, it is not because you had an epiphany moment. Now, you feel that way, and that's okay that you feel that way. But you need to wrestle with the truth and the reality. That epiphany moment was provided to you by God the Father who chose you before time and predestined you to sonship. And it feels like to us, like we chose and we investigated and we looked and we used that kind of language. But the reality is that Paul is telling us is that you are so loved and so desired by the God of heaven that he decided, because he lives outside of time, he decided before you were born, that's one of mine, I'm adopting that one into my family. You have the spiritual blessing of adoption, and you have the gift of the family resemblance of holiness and blamelessness. And God is pleased to give that to you through Christ. Yeah, you can clap. It's good. It's good. You're going to find these sermons to be very intense. (laughs) Um, The next blessing I just want to share with you that Paul says we have is the redemption through the blood. Redemption through the blood. Uh, And the forgiveness of our sins. Again, we think of forgiveness as primarily an emotional thing. Uh, like if somebody wrongs you and, you and you say things like this, you know, I'm really trying to forgive them. I really want to forgive them. I'm really working through forgiving, forgiving them. And, and, and that's how we use forgiving. We use it as emotional language. But again, Paul's a lawyer. He doesn't use forgiving as emotional language. He's using forgiving, uh, being forgiven as legal language. So when we break God's law, which we all do and do regularly, then we have a legal charge against us that declares we're guilty and that we are deserving of punishment. Think about it this way. If a man kills someone, he goes out and he kills someone, and the family of the deceased forgives the murderer and says, hey, we forgive you. Hey, we forgive you for killing our brother. The man still owes a debt because of justice. In other words, what is the debt that, he's, that he owes? He is legally bound to be punished for the murder he has committed. Does everyone understand that? You don't, you don't get to kill somebody and the family say, hey, we forgive you. And the judge say, well, they forgave you. I guess you can go. Right? That doesn't happen. Right? You're legally bound to pay for that, that, that breaking of the law, to pay that debt. And as every one of us who are sitting here today, we are not perfect. We, we still have the sign out front that says no perfect people allowed. Because that's an important sign around here. No perfect people allowed here. So if you're perfect, you're not allowed here, right? Nobody here is perfect. Everybody here is broken. And every single one of us owe a debt of justice, a debt to the justice of God. And every one of us, because we're not perfect, are deserving of punishment. And I know we think, Stephen, I'm a pretty good person. God's not really at the negotiating table with you concerning His righteousness. He's just not there. I know you're sitting at the table and you got your pen and your paper and you're like, God, I feel like I've been a pretty good person. Don't you think I've been a pretty good person? And he's like in the back room, he's drinking coffee with some friends. He's like, I, don't, I can't even come in your presence, you'll die. I can't come to the table with you, you'll die. Every single one of us are imperfect. We owe a debt of justice to God. We are deserving of punishment. And do you know who makes the accusation against us? 
Do you know who says this? Hey, God, God, this person right here, Stephen, he's a lawbreaker and he deserves to be punished. Do you know who makes that accusation? Satan makes that accusation. The Bible calls him the accuser. He accuses the saints. He accuses God's creation. So Satan makes that accusation to God about me. And here's the deal. Look at me, look at me. Satan's right. That's the moment where Satan's actually speaking truth. He accuses me before God, and he's right. And our sin has made me the object, has made you the object of wrath, deserving of God's justice. This is what Paul tells us in another Ephesians passage, chapter 2, verse 3. We were by nature deserving of wrath. And so this is where the spiritual blessing of redemption, redemption and forgiveness, this is where the spiritual blessing of redemption comes into play. God redeems you. That simply means that he pays the price of the legal demand or justice that's on your head. He pays the price. Every single body, every single person in this room has a, has a, a price on our head of the, of the justice that we owe and the punishment we deserve. And, and the redemption is God come along and saying, okay, there's a price on your head. I'm going to pay that price so I can get you out of this, this you know, quagmire you're in. I can get you out of this mess you're in. I can take you out of this prison you're in. Like you're in a mess. You really messed up big. That price on your head, I'm going to pay that price and I'm going to get you out of this situation. And you know what the price is? that God had to pay to get you out of that prison headed for punishment? You know what the price was? The price was the blood of his very own son. A costly price that he paid to buy you back, to redeem you. And so Jesus comes to earth and he takes the wrath of God in my place. He takes my punishment for me, satisfying the justice that was mine. God counts that payment as my punishment and says, okay, Stephen, you're off scot-free even though you've never been even good a full 24 hours, much less perfect. And then he paid, follow me, this this gets crawls all over me, man, I'm sorry. After he pays for the the punishment, pays the price, then God, and this is in the text, if you read it later today, God then lavishes on us, lavishes on us, lavishes on us the riches of his grace. So it's a double benefit from the blood of Jesus. The one benefit is my redemption has been secured, my punishment has been taken care of. The other benefit is now I'm also receiving grace lavished on me. God's kindness, God's goodness, God's caring, God's cherishing, redemption and forgiveness. So Satan has laid claim to you, every single one of us, me, every one of us as lawbreakers, and he was right to do so. But God spiritually blessed you by breaking that claim through paying the price to redeem you, to give you redemption and forgiveness. And lastly, the last spiritual blessing I want to walk you through is the spiritual blessing of a seal or a deposit on your life. And this is in the text as well. From the middle of verse 13 on, listen to this. It says, When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Again, this is legal language, right? Legal. We're getting all these legal blessings. Spiritual, but yet legal. You were given the Holy Spirit when you became a Christian. We all understand that, right? You became a Christian, you surrender your life to Christ, you're baptized into Christ, you come to Christ, and then God grants you the Holy Spirit 
to indwell you. And Paul tells you that, uh, Paul's telling us that the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and he, he works inside of us and he's changing us, but he also marks us with a seal as God's possession. And that we are set aside as being, having belonged to God and we're set aside for God's inheritance. In other words, so, so follow me here. You as a son receive an inheritance. Okay? Or son, daughter, brought into the family of God. You receive an inheritance. God marks you with a seal because you are his inheritance. Isn't that beautiful? He's marked you with a seal to say, I want you. I want to possess you for all eternity. And so the Holy Spirit's like a deposit or down payment that guarantees you will receive the blessings which Christ has procured for you. It's ownership language. God is saying, I'm marking you with the Spirit so that every spiritual being, every creature that, you know, every spiritual reality and things that we can't see with our eyes, that everyone knows you belong to me. And Romans did this thing, the same thing. They would mark their cattle, they would mark their slaves with some type of seal or some type of mark to say, yep, these are mine. These belong to me. The Holy Spirit given to you is a spiritual blessing that's like a mark for God to know and all of the spiritual realm to know that you belong to Him. Now, this is important, and we think, well, okay, why does that matter? Because Satan is still accusing you. You've come to Christ, the price has been paid, but Satan is still saying, He ain't no good. She's terrible. Why would you die for him? Why would you die for constantly telling you that? You're a terrible Christian. Why do you go to church? Why do you get a, just watch, just, just like, just, just forget about it. Just, just don't even do this thing. Does anybody else ever hear this stuff? Right? The enemy comes at us. He attacks us constantly. He's accusing us. And part of the reason God has given us this seal of ownership is to say to the enemy, to say to the demons, hey, you can come at them all you want. You can attack them all you want, but you need to know. They are mine. And in the end, they will belong to me for all eternity. You have no power over that. The Holy Spirit is the promise that you are safely God's. And no matter what the enemy throws at you, you are in the Father's possession. You are in the Father's possession. And then at the end of uh, verse 10, Paul says this little phrase. He says uh, that, that God is going to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And this is a spiritual blessing that every one of us will receive one day. They were already experiencing in a small first fruits kind of way. Unity with God. Unity with the Son. Unity with the Spirit. In the Trinitarian community for all eternity. What this simply means is that Jesus one day is going to return. And He's going to sum up everything. He's going to put it all back together. He's going to put everything right. And everything's going to be perfect. And it's going to be put in order. And no longer will God's enemies be able to ruin His creation or destroy His creation. Because all things will be made new and all of those who are enemies of God will be sent away. And everything will be 
put under Christ. And when Jesus wraps up and puts together the entire created order, He will make everything brand new. And in that moment, you will have a mark on you. The mark, the deposit, the seal of the Holy Spirit, you will have a mark in that moment that shows you belong in the new creation. Because another place, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. So what's coming for the world everything being summed up and put under Christ and made new, what's coming for the created order is already true of you. And so when the trees are made new and the oceans are made new and the mountains are made new and the whole earth is made new one day, you will have the mark on you because you are a follower of Jesus. You will have the mark on you that says you belong in that new world because you were the first fruits of that new creation as the evidence that it was always coming. That's true of you, whether you feel it or not. And you will belong in that new creation and live with God forever. These things I've shared with you today, they are not something you can aspire to have. They are not something if you live religiously enough, you can acquire. They are only blessings that you can hold out your hands and receive as a gift through Jesus. That's all they are. A gift. You cannot be good enough. Act Christian enough. Go to church enough. You cannot do anything to receive these spiritual blessings of holiness, adoption, blamelessness, redemption, forgiveness, and inheritance. You cannot earn these things. And though you will not fully understand them, they are yours for the taking through Christ. They are yours as a free gift. And a day is coming though. A moment where you will say, oh, I get it. I see how valuable that gift was when I was in ninth grade. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gifts of these spiritual blessings. This text is so rich, God, we could teach on this text for 20 weeks, just these verses. And I pray that as we wrestle with who we are through these next few weeks to the letter to the uh, Ephesian church, we'll be changed by you from the inside out. That our, uh, that our understanding of who we are and our, our identity will be something that forever uh, makes our life different. Use this series for anyone in the room and people online, anyone who hears it around the world. Use this series for your glory and for your good to bring fame to Jesus and Him alone. Help us to understand the great gift you've given us in Christ. In His name we pray. Amen. Friends, thank you for being here today. Have a blessed week and a wonderful rest of your day. We love you.